Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. I noticed that Dwight from The Office is on the uh, Kelly Clarkson show right now. I guess he's making the rounds to make everybody know that, no, 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 I, I, I'm not offended by, you know, trans people and chesticles and stuff. <laughs> This is basically his apology, don't hate me tour. That's kind of what this is. Casey Hendrickson here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Do you want to thank R&B Car Company locations in South Bend and Warsaw? R&B Car Company are your used car experts. Find them online at rbcarcompany.com. Okay, a lot to get to today. We're going to lead off with some gas and oil stuff, okay? We're going to make our way eventually, um, maybe at 3.30? depending on how things go, to the red flag bill. I've got some audio of Senator Todd Young. He was on with Kayla over at WoWo this morning, and he admitted something he probably shouldn't have admitted. So (laughs) we'll play that for you a little bit later on in the show. All right, Chevron. Chevron sent a letter to Joe Biden, and the letter, I'm going to read it to you, okay? This is the CEO of Chevron. I'm going to read you the entire three paragraphs because I want you, well, it's not the entire thing, but this is the the main point here. I want you to just determine for yourself if the CEO of Chevron is being unreasonable, okay? Chevron and its 37,000 employees work every day to help provide the world with the energy that it demands and to lift up the lives of billions of people who rely on these supplies. Notwithstanding these efforts, your administration has largely sought to criticize and at times vilify our industry. All true. These actions are not beneficial to meeting the challenges we face and are not what the American people deserve. While today's geopolitical situation is contributing to this energy crisis, bringing prices down and increasing supply will require a change in approach. Okay, so this is Chevron going, yeah, the Putin situation is one thing, but that's not it. There's a bunch of other stuff. And if you want to bring prices down, you need to change your approach as the industry expert. We'll explain how. You have called on our industry to increase energy production. We agree. Let's work together. The U.S. energy sector needs cooperation and support from your administration for our country to return to a path towards greater energy security, economic prosperity, and environmental protection. Nothing in that paragraph to me seemed like they attacked Joe Biden or his administration. Just pointing out, you have in fact vilified our industry at times. That is true. We have played you the montage of Joe Biden on the campaign trail. And at the debates when he was running for office, telling everybody that he was not going to work with the oil industry, he was going to get rid of the oil industry, there's going to be no new drilling, all of that stuff, right? We played you those montages. They're right. And they said, you want energy production to increase. We agree with you. Let's cooperate and do that. We need clarity and consistency on policy matters ranging from leases and permits on federal lands to the ability to permit and build critical infrastructure to the proper role of regulation that considers both costs and benefits. Many of these elements are described in our industry's recently released 10-point plan. Most importantly, we need an honest dialogue on how to best balance energy, economic, and environmental objectives. One that recognizes our industry is a vital sector of the U.S. economy and is essential to our national security. All right, so look, I mean, you have the CEO of Exxon here saying, Please stop vilifying us. We agree with you on increasing energy energy production. We we want to we've given you a 10-point plan on how we can all accomplish this. We want to work with you. Please work with us. You know, we need an honest dialogue about what's going on. Yeah, the Ukraine thing is a part of the problem, but it's not the problem. There's a bunch of other stuff like this, 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 and this. We need some clarity here. 
you have to understand, and this is something that leftists on social media do not comprehend. I mean, they lack the basic foundation of, of rudimentary economics anyway, but they do not understand that the oil and gas sector is a speculative market. So they need this long-term kind of trajectory on what's going to happen. So when you have a guy running around, even if even if, okay, there isn't a reduction in supply of oil or refining capacity, which there is now, but even if there wasn't, if all things remained exactly the same, but Joe Biden is still out there going, oil industry's evil, we'll cancel their leases, no new drilling, we'll end fracking in 10 years, this, this standard, that standard, phase out fossil fuels, this and that. That still damages the entire industry, which raises the price of oil across the world. That's what people need to understand. This is a speculative market, okay? This isn't like we're going to react to Apple posting its profits and then change the stock price. This is, uh, we're going to guess what's going to happen in the future, and this guy doesn't like us very much, so things are probably not going to be very good. That also curbs investment. Why should they invest in in critical infrastructure to expand if you've got a guy in the White House saying he's going to kill off your entire industry, which Joe Biden has said repeatedly. Now, if you have somebody like Trump who's like, we're going to drill everywhere. We're going to make it easy for you to get on federal land. We're going to make sure that the environmental impact statements are done on time. We're not going to delay them. We're going to make sure that you have access to any oil reserves that we find, and you'll be able to go ahead and do your thing. Well, the oil industry at that point is like, okay, cool. We've got at least four years of we're going to be running, you know, foot to the floor, pedal to the metal, and we can invest and we can ramp up production. We can do all of that sort of stuff. It completely changes when you have the rhetoric of the Biden administration. This is the thing that amateurs don't understand when they talk about oil and gas. I'm making making this as brass tacks, bare knuckle as I possibly can for the lowest common denominator. I know that the oil and gas sector and economic issues by and large are really not easy things for people to discuss, but this is very important that people understand this. After I, I posted this on social media not that long ago. After all of the decades of us arguing over oil policy, okay, After all of the decades, you would think the American public would have at least a general idea of how this works. All of the years and the decades of drill, baby, drill, drill, baby, drill. We need to drill more. We need to drill more. We need to drill more. And the Democrats and the environmentalists telling you that won't reduce the price of gasoline. And guess what? We finally had one guy who did it. And what did it do? Record low prices of gas in the modern era, obviously, and with adjusted dollars. Record low prices. And as we said, we're like, look. This is the first person, Trump, first person to actually implement this policy. And we are seeing what happened. There's a massive energy boom all over the world. It it reduced the cost of everything. It improved the quality of life for everyone. And as I love to point out, the Russia-OPEC oil war impacted you virtually nil. Why? Because we were self-sufficient. Didn't need to worry about it. Now, when you have people who can't acknowledge that reality and immediately ignore that the last four years happened, well, last administration happened because now it's, um, they go they go back to the same old talking points from, you know, Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush and, and everything else. That's it's not the same world. It's not the same energy policy. It is so dramatically different than it used to be, which is why when somebody comes out there and goes, the president doesn't control the price of oil, that person doesn't know a lot about what they're talking about. No, the president doesn't control the price of oil, but presidential policies now in this era, in the post-energy energy um, completely neutral, but not energy neutral, not reliant upon foreign oil, energy independent era, the post-energy independent era, that is completely different because Biden's policies affect global 
global markets now, whereas American energy policy didn't used to really have a major impact on the global market. Now it does. So it affects things greatly. And here's the thing. You need to understand this. Remember this, okay? Remember this stat, because I'm going to give this to you, and this has been a talking point as well. Next month, our refineries will be ramped up to 94% capacity. They've been ramping up which means our refineries in July will be running at 94% of their max as they continue to ramp up production. We just had another refinery closed down. We had several refineries permanently closed during the pandemic. And Exxon CEO says that they don't think that another refinery is going to be built in this country ever again. And a lot of those refineries, by the way, don't do gasoline. They're doing other petroleum products, lubricants and things like that. They're not doing gasoline. So our refining capacity continues to dwindle. Haven't built a new refinery in, in, what, 29 years at least? Who is responsible for blocking those refineries that we desperately need right now? The, the prince in Saudi Arabia said, I can send you all the oil in the world. You don't have the capacity to refine it right now. It doesn't matter if we give you more oil. It doesn't matter if we pump out more oil. You can't refine it fast enough. And he's right. He's 100% right. We don't have the refining capacity because we're almost at capacity. Well, we will be next month. We're at like 91 to 92% now. So how do we get better? How do we get more gas? It doesn't really work that way. If you can't refine the product, as we've highlighted you know, over the years on, on the show, if you can't refine the product, it doesn't really matter all that. Here's Joe Biden's response. Cue my audio. Here's Joe Biden's response to the CEO of Chevron, giving what I felt was a a pretty, you know, brass tacks, but respectful message. Hey, we agree with you, but dude, you got to stop demonizing us, man. We're trying to work with you. Yes. Good question on the Chevron CEO's complaint today. He said that your administration has largely criticized the oil and gas industry and at times vilified it and that the administration would need to take a change in approach in order to make progress on, on reducing energy prices and to increase supply. Do you have a reaction to that, sir? Mildly sensitive. I didn't know they'd get their feelings hurt. Okay, so that was his response. Now, does that sound does that sound at all? One, like a mature human being. He's snickering the entire time. Everything that the let that, that letter of the, the CEO of Chevron said is absolutely true. Joe Biden just vilified the oil industry yesterday. Yesterday. So here's the oil industry going, look, we've given you a 10-point plan to fix this. Does Pete Buttigieg have a 10-point plan to fix transportation supply chain issues? Nope. Does Joe Biden have a 10-point plan to fix the price of gas? No. Every time he's asked about it, he goes, I don't know what to do. He's been, he's actually said it. We don't really know what to do here. We got no idea. Well, the oil industry gave you a 10 point plan. Take a look at it. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't, but at least you got a direction to go to instead of just saying, ah, big oil profits. Eh." Okay. Yeah. Did the oil, the oil industry have record profits? Sure they did. Guess who else did? The governments, state and federal, who made a lot more money off of oil than the oil industry did. A lot more. And the government didn't do anything. So there's a lot more to this. We got to cover this. I think it's important. And yeah, again, production is down about a million barrels a day. That is a fact. It is not my opinion. It is an absolute fact. And anybody who says otherwise is lying to you. We got more coming up. 95.3 MNC. So once again, the the Chevron CEO sent a letter which was direct but polite and respectful to Joe Biden and basically said, look, please stop vilifying and demonizing us. We want to work with you. Can we please get together and figure out this energy situation to stop? You got to stop demonizing us. And also the things that you're doing here, these are all things that affect the price of gas and oil. And it's, it's not helping anybody when you do those sorts of things. So then he was asked, Biden was asked about this. And Biden, having been asked to stop vilifying the oil and gas industry, his response was immediately to vilify the oil and gas industry. So naturally, reporters did what reporters do. 
So they get the little comment here. They run over here, and they get the other comment. Then they run back, and they get the other comment. It's kind of like the schoolyard. Ooh, he told you this. What are you going to do? So they go back to Chevron. Chevron, once again, taking the high road here. In response to a question about Biden's remarks, which was his response to Chevron's letter, the Chevron spokeswoman, uh, spokesperson, excuse me, told the Blaze that uh, the CEO is looking forward to a meeting with Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm on Thursday. That's tomorrow. And the spokesman added that Worth, the CEO, is hopeful for a constructive conversation about actions to address the near-term issues and long-term stability of energy markets. And again, long-term stability of energy markets because it is a speculative market. Like I said, a lot of people kind of consider this when Apple posts their quarterly profit or loss, the stock responds to what Apple said. So if Apple performs better than expected, the stock shoot up. If they perform worse than expected, the stock shoot down. Doesn't work like that with oil and gas. So there's a bunch of people out there who think that's how it works, and they don't understand what affects the price. There's lots of things that go into the price. It's a very, very complicated market, but speculation is a major, major part of it, and people don't seem to understand that at all. Okay, so now uh, Biden has decided that he does, in fact, want the federal gas tax holiday, which will save you just over 18 cents per gallon. Is it a lot of money? Nope, not at all. Uh, not the B.com actually crunched out, you know, basically what it's going to be. I did the math and, and was looking at it myself, but they already did it. So pff, less work for me. Uh, it'll save you roughly 3.6% at the pump if you average for $5 a gallon. Okay. So, you know, you'll, you'll get about $2.70. So let's just ballpark it at, you know, three bucks, right? We'll give you a little bit of lead time, even though prices are coming down just a little bit. Um, they're expected to go up in, in July. So we'll give you, you know, three bucks roughly per fill up if you have 15 gallon tank and the average tank is between 13 and 16 so if you have a 15 gallon tank you'll save about three bucks ballpark okay is that a lot no if you drive for a living does it make a difference maybe if you don't drive for a living will it make a difference no it won't uh now there's a lot of people who don't like this idea and i've always told you that it's not going to save you a ton of money but i i like the idea and the reason i like the idea is because frankly the government doesn't deserve that taxes any it's your money you want to go and buy a monster energy drink with that money instead of giving it to the federal government? That is, frankly, your prerogative, okay? Screw them. Every little bit that comes back into your pocket, the better. They don't need it. Now, will they still find a way to recoup that? Of course they will. Is it going to make a big difference? No. Will they be able to claim um, a disingenuous political win by reducing the price of gasoline by 18 cents? Sure they will. They will absolutely exploit that, 100%, which is one of the reasons... Considering it doesn't actually do anything long-term, this isn't a policy. This is simply immediate Band-Aid. We have to do something to stop the bleeding, right? That's all this is. And it's not going to fix anything long-term. Everybody who is saying that is absolutely correct. And, and we got people on all political sides saying that they're all true. This is not going to fix the problem. Changing energy policy is going to fix the problem. This is not going to fix the problem. But it will, in the short term, give them a political win if they go forward and say, I reduced the price of gasoline by 18 cents. This is what I did. Nobody even liked me. I went against my own party. Joe Biden will say. And the reason he'll say that is Democrats don't want to go along with it. Uh, that, there's actually reports that Democrats are in a full revolt over this. Democrats on Capitol Hill are revolting over a proposed, uh, proposed, proposed, proposed Biden um, proposal from Biden to Congress. Sorry, that's them. That's not me. That's how they wrote this. To temporarily suspend the federal gas tax. And again, this is basically it's gonna be like three months. It's basically for the summer months, and then you know you'll you'll go ahead and and uh, 
it'll kick back in again. So a lot of Democrats are like, this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. This isn't really going to fix anything. The other thing that they say it does is it lets the oil companies off of the hook because the oil companies are getting record profits and we're going to get rid of tax revenue. Remember, state governments and federal government has made a heck of a lot more money on gasoline than the oil companies have. So while they talk about record profits, just keep in mind, the entire oil industry, their profits are a drop in the bucket compared to the government's of this country's profits when it comes to gasoline. And they didn't do anything. The oil companies did. So Democrats don't like it. As we told you yesterday, Republicans today also blasting Biden's gas tax holiday as a fake fix. Nobody likes the idea. And part of the reason is it doesn't actually fix the problem. But you've got different motivations here. You got Democrats saying it doesn't fix the problem and it lets the oil companies off the hook while we lose precious tax revenue for social programs. Republicans are blasting it because it doesn't fix the problem and it doesn't fix the long term issue because you're not actually changing energy policy, in which case it's not doing much anyway. So everybody hates the idea. Uh, Joe Biden's going to try and spin it and, and get himself some kind of a political win here. But it is important that everybody understand that, you know, Democrats for I've got articles here. I'll put them in the Daily Show prep. I got an article from 2006. I've got an article from 2011. I, I can give you more if you really want. Um, I've got articles from just a couple of months ago talking about Democrats opposing u- new refineries in this country and all all of it. On environmental reasons, every single spec, every single one of them, environmental reasons, no more refineries. It hurts the animals. We, we don't want any sea turtles snorting cocaine with their with their plastic straws up their nose. We don't want any of that. And so we can't build a refinery because if we build refineries, that'll create a ghetto. And then the uh, the tortoises and sea turtles will go out there with their plastic straws embedded in their nose and snort coke. So we can't actually build a refiner. You go back and you look at all of that stuff. By the way, the, the turtle stuff, literally in the legislation. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Politico, that was a joke. I need to fact check me on. So if you want to you wanna blame somebody for refining capacity, 100% with the Democrats. Period. End of story. More coming up. 95.3 MNC, MNC News Time, 333. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. Good name. Good. I was reading an article and then I took half of the article and I put it into my intro because I was reading the article instead of actually focusing on you because I'm a professional. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. How's that even possible? Like, how is it you're reading one thing and then you just start saying that out loud with the other thing that you're saying? I want to thank R&B Car Company locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. Don't forget, uh, if you don't follow me on Truth Social, your life is got a massive hole in it. Go to truthsocial.com. Follow me at Casey, the host. You can also subscribe at Rumble. Watch the live stream, rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Okay, uh, we will have more on Uvalde a little bit later today. Um, again, just more outrageous stuff. Uh, these these hearings are revealing an awful lot, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. It just gets every single speck of this thing just continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse worse. There's no other way to really describe it. I'm going to play you some audio. This is from my friend, Kayla Blakesley. She does Fort Wayne's morning news over on our sister station, WoWo in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, you know, Kayla is a, a good friend of mine. She's a great radio host. She's a great colleague and a great worker. Um, she had Senator Todd Young on her show today. Senator Todd Young is one of the 14 Republicans who voted with Democrats for this gun control bill. Now in this, he gives his reasons why. He voted for this bill and the red flag stuff and everything else. And um, 
he admits something that I don't think that he was supposed to admit. And I noticed that on his his Twitter profile, he hasn't posted about this yet. It's weird. He's posted about a bunch of other stuff that he's done, but he didn't post about this. Because in his interview with Kayla, he was bragging about his A rating from the NRA. Well, you may not have an A rating with the NRA anymore, by the way. Not that that is the end-all, be-all rating that you look for now. The NSSF is a heck of a lot better, in my opinion. But nonetheless, he was bragging about it during this interview. So this is today on WoWo, Senator Todd Young with Caleb Blakesley. Cue it. They are important. I mean, I you know, there's a reason I've gotten an A-plus from the NRA uh, for uh, quite some time, um, and it's because I'm a strong defender of the Second Amendment. But if we're not doing reasonable things like taking 18- to 21-year-olds who uh, effectively violated criminal law, but because they're age, say, 20, uh, it, it's a sealed charge. It's not a criminal charge. You're not putting that information into the uh, criminal background check database. I've got problems. I I think that that is uh, intolerable. I I think that's indefensible. If you have a state implementing red flag law like the state of Indiana, listen, it's it's not up to me to craft that red flag law. I might not made it as tough as the state legislature did, but you need to have prosecutors and judges trained on on these red flag laws and and how to use them. And so that's another, you know, commonsensical provision. My view is conservatives, uh, our hallmark is not inaction. It's not do nothing. It's only do smart and reasonable things. And if we reject smart and reasonable things, then uh, frankly, there's no better way to undermine our Second Amendment rights because progressives are going to get frustrated, mm-hmm. they're going to overshoot, and they'll violate our rights. So listen, I've, I've voted to advance this legislation. I have not read uh, the actual uh, legislative text because it was just provided right. before the vote. But the framework uh, seems commonsensical to me. If it didn't, uh, I wouldn't be... Uh, voting to advance it. Okay, that is your senator, Indiana. Senator Todd Young. Uh, yeah, you know, it's um, uh, I voted to take away your rights because otherwise, if I didn't vote to take away your rights, you know, the, uh, the leftists will overshoot and they'll totally take away your rights. And we don't want to totally take away your rights. We're just going to incrementally take away your rights, um, as we have done for the past, you know, for, well, no, not 40, 60 years, 60 or 70 years since we actually started taking gun rights away from people, which, thank you, NRA, you're responsible for. The NRA's position was exactly what Todd Young's position was the very first time they started restricting who could own firearms in this country. The NRA's position is, well, yeah, I guess it makes sense for people who committed crimes not be able to own guns. Didn't stop there, though, did it? But it opened the door. Senator Todd Young admitting, I did not read the bill that I just voted on, which means nobody else read it either unless you were intimately involved in writing it because they only got the text of the legislation right before the vote. You remember when Republicans tried to kill that whole process off? That whole you have to read the bill before you pass the bill, and Democrats really aided that. Remember that? That was supposed to be a whole thing. You can't vote on legislation until you read it. You're supposed to have at least 24 to 48 hours to read the legislation. Remember that? Yeah, that's not a thing anymore. So Senator Young just admitted that he voted to take away people's rights and violate due process, which is exactly what a red flag law does. But this bill isn't just about red flag. He voted to do that while admitting he didn't read the legislation. So he has no ideas. Like, well, the framework seemed good. First of all, the framework didn't seem good to me. He has a difference of opinion. But the framework isn't the bill. The framework is just an outline. You know, the thing you do at the beginning of a a group project when you're staring at four other people in the class you've never met before. Hey, what are we going to do our project on? I don't know. Let's set up a framework, you know, or an idea bubble. Let's do that. That's what he voted for. He voted for the idea bubble 
without actually seeing what the project was, which would be this legislation. So he has no idea what in the heck got snuck in there at the time that he voted for it. I mean, he had no clue. Why do you think he is not posting about this stuff right now? But he went on with Kayla and he said, yeah, I, there's a reason we got to talk about these things. I got an A-plus rating with the NRA. I got to take away some of your rights now or else they're going to take away more of your rights. We don't want to do that. So let's just take away some of them now so we don't have to take away all of them. What an argument. These are just commonsensical stuff. Uh, you think the framework was commonsensical, but what about the actual piece of legislation? Look, for those of you who don't understand, I, I mean, red flag, I get it. There is, there's a reason that people want to consider a red flag proposal, okay? There are reasons for that. And a lot of these mass shooters, red flags all over the place. Law enforcement didn't do anything. They're hoping... Red flag laws can fix that sort of thing. The problem is that they're not really all that effective at preventing somebody from hurting somebody else. We'll get into that. Coming up, News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. All right, cue my audio, please. Friendly reminder from the audience. Al on my Discord server shared this to see if this, this harkens back to any of you folks. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. That's Nancy Pelosi telling you about Obamacare. Well, we got to pass the bill before you find out what's actually in Obamacare. You know, Obamacare, the the study just came out, was it two months ago, that it has effectively doubled the cost of private insurance in this country. Way to go with less coverage for everybody. What a good job. But at least they passed it before they had to read it, right? Todd Young, who's up for re-election right now. Like I said, here's the thing. Todd Young is not an awful senator. He's not, Okay. Uh, I agree with him on a lot of issues. He's very fiscally responsible. I think that that is extremely important. Um, But you as a voter, you're going to have to make the determination on issues like this if that supersedes the stuff that he's good at. And that's only something that you can decide. And is he, in your opinion, uh, not worthy of retaining and then risking the Democrat because the libertarian doesn't have any real backing at this point in time? So, you know, that's that's just something that you're going to have to decide ultimately as a voter. Uh, I consider red flag stuff to be a pretty big deal because we've seen where this goes before. I gave you the history of gun control, where it started. And what, you know, you can have people like Joe Biden and other liberals out there going, yeah, not everybody was allowed to own a gun from the very beginning. That is not true. They only started restricting gun ownership in recent decades. This is less than a century old. That is a brand new concept, guys. Brand new. And the moment they had that door open for them, the moment they had that door open for them, they started going for everything else. Oh, you said certain people can't own firearms. Okay, cool. Well, then that means that we can limit what types of firearms they own, what types of ammo they own, what types of magazines they own, capacity, calibers. You get the idea. That's what they have done. So now we're at a position here where, according to Senator Young, commonsensically, we can violate due process and red flag laws violate due process. If you're not familiar with how a red flag law works, somebody contacts the authorities and says so-and-so is a danger. The authorities then come and take away all of their guns. So-and-so has committed no crime. Sometimes so-and-so never gets the guns back. Sometimes it's a multi-year, very expensive process to get the guns back. So the government makes it that way. So that way it's too expensive to actually get the guns back. It's better to just go buy new guns. But now you've been kind of flagged. And eventually they're going to work that into the whole Nick system as well. Well, you've previously been flagged under a red flag law, so we're not going to let you buy any new guns. You can have your old guns back. Well, but they told me it was going to cost $80,000 to get my two Glocks back because I got to fight them in court and pay these processing fees and everything else, even though I was totally innocent. They go, eh, sorry, red flag law, you've been flagged. You get where this is going. Now, maybe Todd Young sees the big picture and he approves of it. Maybe he just doesn't see the big picture 
and he doesn't want to believe that this is how things are going to go. So there's an article here on Twitchy. Will any of the 14 GOP senators who voted yes on the bipartisan gun bill really suffer any electoral consequence? Probably not. Probably not. We'll see. Four troublesome provisions that are in the Senate gun bill. Okay. Let's take a look at that. Number one, it provides funding for red flag laws with too broad of latitude for state interpretation and insufficient safeguards. The portion of the bill pertaining to so-called red flag laws is extremely vague. Senator Young would have known that had he read the bill before he voted on it. As in nearly non-existent, it provides an additional $750 million in burn-jag grants to the states to be used for, quote, crisis intervention programs, including, quote, extreme risk protection order programs. Okay. Remember, we got to deal with the ex parte orders here. That's the issue. Over the last month, there's been intense public discussion about the specifics of red flag laws and what due process safeguards are or are not in place and what changes should possibly be entertained. And that discussion intensified over the last week. Apologists ex- explained, explained them thusly, claiming that they still require due process and that any removal of weapons is temporary. Okay, but we know that that's not always the case because we have people who have been victimized by red flag laws that the the seizure of firearms is not temporary. There's more to this, and I will cover it on the other end of this because this is taking a little bit longer than I expected, but, you know, we went a little bit long in that first first bit on oil and gas. So I will continue this discussion on the other other end of this because you need to know this stuff. You know, you got November coming up, and you have to make determinations on who you're going to be supporting and who you're not. For various reasons. Like I said, Todd Young is not a horrible senator. He's not. Uh, he's very good on various things. But this is this is pretty atrocious and pretty bad. We got more coming up. 95.3 MNC. What? What do you mean keep going? I don't want to keep going. I want to get out. I want you to just play music. Just vamp music for the next 20 seconds so I can take a break. I'm tired. Okay? I've been up early. Ben's trying to keep me to work here. Oh, okay. I got another 10 seconds. Here. I'll keep talking. 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, We'll see you on the other end of this. Be back in a minute. All right, let's continue my rant, shall we? Casey Hendrickson here, News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. We are talking about the 14 Republicans who voted with Democrats for this gun control bill. This is the Senate gun control bill. Now, keep in mind, this this hasn't been passed yet. It's not been signed into law. It's just, you know, 14 Republicans joined with Democrats on this thing, including Senator Todd Young from Indiana. Todd Young went on WoWo this morning on Kayla Blakesley's show and said he didn't read the bill before he voted for it. But in theory, in general, he supports the idea of taking away due process for your guns. Now, again, I want you to understand that there is some serious and legitimate concern. Most gun control measures don't make any sense so-called red flag stuff at least comes from some real world issue right we've got somebody who's made a threat or has expressed a desire to cause harm and we need the ability to disarm them before they go out and do it you start taking a look at these mass shooters they are almost always known to law enforcement. They almost always posted some kind of a warning, and then they they go out and do it because law enforcement says their hands are tied. Red flag laws are supposed to be designed to fix that. Do they? Not necessarily, but they're supposed to be designed to fix that. So unlike other issues like banning AR-15s or high-capacity magazine bans, which are really just standard-capacity magazine bans or anything like that, Those make no sense. At least this one comes from a real-world problem 
that exist. Is it a major issue? Not, not as much as people would like you to believe, but nonetheless, it's a real problem that probably has to be addressed. So the idea is somebody is perceived to be a danger. You can call in a tip and law enforcement will go take their guns away. And then they basically have to prove their innocence. And then if they do prove their innocence, they can get their guns back. It is a complete and total violation of due process. Now, the concern here is that you are violating somebody's rights. You're taking away due process. And in the United States, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty red flag turns that upside down you're guilty until you prove your innocence that is a major violation of your constitutional and civil rights period does it address a real world problem that exists yes it does how effectively is debatable but that's irrelevant because it still violates your rights when you hadn't committed any crime that's the thing so there are some people out there todd young who make the case it's okay to violate your rights because you might go harm somebody else so we'll violate your rights okay People like me say you can't violate somebody's rights when they haven't broken the law because that's the Constitution. That is the the government that we we have. You're innocent until you're proven to be guilty. Todd Young rejects that with this bill. Okay, So once again, once you allow due process to go out the window, as we saw throughout COVID, as we saw January 6th, due process out the window, right? Your constitutional rights don't mean much. Unreasonable uh, punishments gone. We saw unreasonable search and seizure violations leading back, you know, even before COVID. Once this stuff starts happening, you start getting into this slippery slope where all of a sudden the Bill of Rights doesn't mean much. Anymore. And if you go out there and you tell people, hey, let's go back like 60, 70 years, you go back and... You're the NRA and you're like, yeah, okay, we agree with you. Some people shouldn't own guns. And you defend that by going, look, bad people right now can get guns. And if we prevent bad people from getting guns, then only good people will have guns. That's just better for the gun industry. Only it wasn't. It damaged everybody. It opened the door for gun control. It allowed them to say, well, I mean, we've always had restrictions on on who can own firearms. So why can't we just put uh, restrictions on what type of firearms they can own? The Second Amendment says you can't. But you said we could put restrictions on it when even your people, the NRA, supported this. You see what, what started there? So now we're in this situation here where we're like, hey, you hadn't committed a crime yet, but somebody thinks you will, so we're going to take away your, your guns from you. Okay, what does that lead to? What other pre-crime policies could possibly come from the notion that you don't have to actually commit a crime before the authorities intervene? And that's what Red Flag is about. So, four troublesome provisions in the Senate gun bill. We started off with number one, which is the Red Flag stuff, okay? Given the level of interest and ongoing discussions, one would think the bill would contain specific actions that would possibly subject one to the issuance of an extreme risk protection order, the type of evidence required at which point a person would be notified of an attempt to remove their Second Amendment rights, whether legal counsel would be afforded, the length of time any such order would be in effect, and if the order automatically expired, or if the person had a petition uh, to petition the court to have their rights restored at a minimum. None of that is in the bill that Todd Young voted for that he admits he didn't read before he voted for it. So if you're going to have a red flag law, and as I've told you before, I'm like, I'm willing to have this discussion, but there's some things that have to happen before I'm willing to even consider a red flag law because, let's be honest, it violates your rights. So in this bill, what what this article is basically saying is, look, if we're going to argue red flag stuff, there should be a notification of the individual that somebody has said, you're a threat, we're going to take your guns away. How long those guns will be taken away? Uh, you can get legal counsel right now before we come take your guns away and plead your case before your rights are violated. All of that, none of that's in the bill. It's just, nope, we can take your guns away whenever, and there's no outlining of how the person who is victimized in this way can fight for their rights. The bill simply states that ERPO programs must, at a minimum, provide due process protections to both pre-deprivation and post-deprivation 
ensure that one's constitutional rights are not violated with a lot of other legalese in there and must include the at, at the appropriate phase to prevent any violation of constitutional rights, the right to an in-person hearing, an unbiased adjudicator, the right to no opposing evidence, the right to present evidence, and the right to confront adverse witnesses, and the right to be represented by counsel at no expense to the government. But again, all of this happens after the guns are taken. So the article writes, do you see the problem here? People assume that language to mean that a person will have the right to know the evidence against them to confront their accuser or adverse witnesses, etc., before they're stripped of their rights. But that is not what the language means. A court can still decide to have an ex parte present, okay, an ex parte hearing, excuse me, and the quantity and the types of evidence the respondent, okay, which is the civil version of a defendant, can present. And if you can't afford an attorney, how can you effectively represent yourself in these hearings? There are no specifics to guide judges, period, at all in this bill. They don't exist. They're not in there. Something that Senator Young and the other 13 Republicans would have known had they read the bill before they voted on it. Now, if Senator Young read the bill and said, whoa, I'm all for red flags, but I got an A-plus rating with the NRA and I need to make sure that people's constitutional rights are protected before you take their firearms away from them, and this doesn't do that, and then you start debate, introduce amendments, you fix the bill. He didn't do that because he just voted for it based on the outline and without actually reading the bill, which is probably one of the reasons that Todd Young is not talking about this on social media today. I'm shocked he went on Kayla's show. Shocked. I'm not. She's attractive, and it's easy to get politicians, particularly men, to go on her show. Not so easy to come on my show. I'm just an ugly guy who yells at everybody. So here's something else that's in there. Um, And by the way, um, if you really want to, there's a link in this this article that'll be in the Daily Show prep. Go read about California's gun violence restraining orders, and go watch how red flag laws are used to violate people's rights all the time. Guess who they come after a lot? Veterans. Who's the most dangerous with firearms? In the civilian population, veteran. What weapon do veterans prefer over all other weapons to protect their home and their family? AR-15. Pay close attention to this stuff. Number two, expanded definition of engaged in the business for federal firearm licenses. Under this bill, if you occasionally sell a gun in a private transaction and you do it for a profit, of course, most people do it for a loss. Most people don't do it for a profit, but that definition gets skewed with the ATF. You must register to become a federal firearms licensee, which, of course, is very expensive and sucks. Which is why every time any of you go, Casey, why don't you not just sell holsters and knives? Why don't you sell guns? And I go, ha ha, no, not interested. If I get an FFL, it is purely for me to get my own guns at wholesale. It's not going to be to sell to any of you. So if you're not trying to liquidate your collection, but just want to make some money, you could run into a problem. Of course, the interpretation is up for the regulators or the judge. And most likely the individual citizen isn't going to end up on the winning end of that interpretation. So again, right now, basically, if you sell firearms with the express purpose for selling them to make money, you got to get a firearms license. This kind of broadens that to where if you sell a gun, yeah, you, you, you have to get an FFL. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, yeah, not not great. Right now, you, you are allowed to sell like a gun because you don't want it anymore. You're allowed to do that because you're not engaged in the business of firearms. But if this passes that changes number three five-year prohibition 
for misdemeanor domestic violence convictions. Uh, This component is billed as eliminating the boyfriend loophole. Uh, For the record, there is research that shows that men are actually predominantly the victim of domestic violence. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, Is the damage as severe as women who are victims of domestic violence? No. However, uh, when you look at these surveys, and I know surveys are non-scientific, but if you look at a lot of surveys, there are a lot of surveys out there which will describe um, more men, higher percentage of men, are victims of domestic violence than women. Now, that is usually not as severe as what you deal with with women. It's just abusive women who don't cause a lot of damage. And the guy's just like, okay, I'm going to leave the house now until you chill out. And it's obviously not the severe cases that a lot of women deal with. But nonetheless, domestic violence is still domestic violence. So they called it the boyfriend loophole, which is pretty sexist and assumes that gender and seems to completely dismiss violence in lesbian relationships, which is very true. By the way, violence in lesbian relationships the highest demographic of domestic violence, by far and away. Not even close. First, there is no boyfriend loophole in the way that most people would understand it, just like there's no gun show loophole. Uh, Explained by the NRA, case law has pretty well eviscerated the meaning of violence and domestic violence convictions, and the expansion of the definition of domestic to include dating partners, a term that the vast majority of people in the dating pool have difficulty defining anyway, will create huge enforcement issues. So there's a real issue there. You have a bad date? Guess what? Uh, now you could potentially lose your lose your firearms depending on how crazy that person was and how far the process goes. Uh, there's a massive expansion of the federal law enforcement and the Burn JAG program to in scope and in dollars. The bill is, uh, quote, a huge giveaway to the Department of Justice and the FBI, neither of which are concerned with protecting the civil rights of law-abiding gun owners. In fact, the FBI is routinely admonished by the federal courts for violating your civil rights. No word on where this funding is coming from. Uh, so again, there's $1.5 billion that is now allocated to the DOJ, $100 million to the FBI for salaries and expenses, $1.4 billion to the Department of Justice for state and local law enforcement assistance, $750 million of which is earmarked for the Burn JAG grants, $100 million is earmarked for, quote, competitive grants, to be administered by the Community-Oriented Policing Services Office for purposes authorized under the Stop School Violence Act of 2018. Okay, so half of that amount goes to the burn grants. In the earlier part of the bill, that explained that crisis intervention programs, burn, there's a troubling addition to the definition of how those grants funds can be used, namely that they can be used for civil proceedings not just criminal-related cases. Um, This is a very, very bad piece of legislation. This article here actually tells you groups like Moms Demand, Everytown, the Brady Center, uh, the Giffords Law Center will position themselves as, quote, experts with science-backed, data-backed position, policy, and then they can get funding through your taxpayer dollars. Every town for gun safety who manufactures and fabricates gun statistics can get taxpayer dollars to fund them as experts under this law. The same people who tell you a shooting two blocks away from a school in a neighborhood counts as a school shooting when it happened at 9 p.m. at night. This is a terrible piece of legislation. And maybe had Senator Todd Young read it before he voted for it, maybe he wouldn't have voted for it. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. And I do want to thank you for tuning in and joining us today. Don't forget, you can go to the live stream, rumble.com slash Casey the host. All right. So what about abuse for red flag laws? PolitiFact tried telling everybody that um, 
there's uh, there's no violation of due process with red flag laws. Look, the very premise that you can lose your firearms without committing a crime is a violation of due process. Period. But PolitiFact is trying to say that there is no violation of due process, which of course is not true. The very nature of a red flag law is a violation of due process. Now, uh, there are 19 states, I believe, that have red flag laws right now. And you can go and you can look at the processes, including Indiana. You can take a look at it. And again, there is absolutely, absolutely a violation of due process here. But what's more than that is that a full third, and and you can go and you can take a look at this. This is um, a report that was published in the Senate Judiciary back in 2019. And this is written testimony from David Kopel. And he is a scholar at the Cato Institute in Washington, D.C. He's a researcher um, of the Independence Institute in Denver, Colorado. And he's adjunct professor of constitutional law at Denver University and Sturm College of Law. Okay, So David Kopel, some of you know who he is. Some of you may not know who he is. Now, the important thing to understand about his research is that they were able to find out, this is the executive summary of his report to the Senate Judiciary, red flag laws or extreme risk, risk protection orders, which is how they're labeled in this bill that was just voted on, have been enacted in several states. While the idea for these laws is reasonable, some statutes are not. They destroy due process of law, endanger law enforcement and the public, and can be handy tools for stalkers and abusers to disarm the innocent victims. Nearly a third of such orders are improperly issued against innocent people. So I'm going to repeat this one more time because I know that some of you are slow. I'm talking to you leftists out there. About a third of red flag orders are issued against innocent people. It's like 33% ballpark. That is a lot of innocent people. Red flag laws not only subject somebody to the vendettas of maybe ex-friends, jilted lovers, political rivals, what have you. I gave you an example yesterday of a 14-long affair of a guy who had been harassed by a crazy woman who used to be a college professor. If you missed that, go back and listen to yesterday's show. Now, let's say you want to kill your girlfriend. Remember, part of the reason that these things get passed is domestic violence, right? The whole boyfriend loophole thing is in this law. All right, let's say you want to kill your girlfriend, but you know that she bought a gun. Let's say she told you, I'm armed now. You come through the door, I'm going to kill you. Cool. So he makes an anonymous tip that she's threatening to murder her kids. Next thing you know, she loses her gun. Boom, now you get to go in and kill her. What's going to happen when that happens? And it will happen. It will happen. Guarantee it, it will happen. Because we already know that a third of these orders are issued against innocent people. And as I've told you before, until we have a provision in there that sends somebody who makes a false accusation to prison for 10 years to dissuade somebody from doing this, well, Casey, we can't have... We, we don't want to uh, disincentivize people from coming forward. Yeah, we do. If you're going to give up your constitutional rights and your due process and lose your firearms, then if somebody is, at the very least, somebody who makes a false claim against you should spend some serious time behind bars. At the very least. We're not talking about, you know, rinky-dink little things here. We're talking about a complete and total violation of your constitutional rights. So, yeah, if somebody gets your constitutional rights violated because they lie about you, yes, they should go to prison. A judge, judges are being given full discretion here to figure out what is and is not a legitimate case, right? We say that we need to trust judges on this. Why can't we trust judges on somebody coming forward doing so with ill will or because they were doing it for the right reasons? Why can't we trust a judge in the same the same manner? There has to be serious penalties for this. Massive, massive abuse in the system already. 
and it's only being started just now. MNC News Time is 4.33. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. All right. A uh, lot to still discuss. I know that there's uh, there's a lot going on. A lot of people want to they want to compete for your attention, your time. Um, I, I need to just take a moment. I, I've, I'm going to make Yang, okay? And I know I started the show with that yesterday. I know that some of you are probably angry, like, okay, we're already angry at Todd Young, Casey. I don't need to be more angry. Yeah, this is bad. Uvalde's situation just continues to get worse. And we learned an awful lot Monday and Tuesday. We learned that after having previously learned that nobody engaged the shooter at the door within three minutes. That was a lie. Um, Various stories bouncing around about the shooter coming into a door or what have you. What we do know is that... The police could have ended the shooting in three minutes. That is the official testimony for for the hearing that is happening in Texas right now. The mayor of Uvalde is like, ah, we got to stop playing this blame game. No, 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 no. Children died. Two teachers are dead because police did not act. They were ordered not to act. Parents were ordered not to act. Other law enforcement agencies were ordered not to act. The police chief didn't have his radio. Nobody else around him conveyed the information that there were children in the classroom dying, allegedly Nobody conveyed that information to him, which nobody buys, by the way. There isn't anybody out who thinks for a second that the school police chief was not aware that there were children inside that classroom. The chief has basically said, I didn't have my radio. That I didn't know because they were routing these 911 calls from the little girl inside the classroom who called repeatedly to 911. They're routing that to the city police. Well, the city police were there. You mean to tell me that nobody in the city police is there? They're giving their story to People Magazine and everything else. We almost rebelled and revolted and went in there. But you didn't. You mean to tell me that none of those city police... Police officers told the school police chief that there was children inside that classroom that needed medical attention. The official testimony was that the shooting could have stopped within three minutes. We were told they didn't have ballistic shields, and that's why they didn't go in, which was not an excuse to begin with. But we were told they did not have a ballistic shield. They did. We were told they didn't have the right weapon. They did. We were told the door was locked. It wasn't. They had to wait for a key. They had to wait for a key that they didn't need. They never checked the door. It was not locked. Yesterday, I told you about police officers getting to the school, one of whom's wife was in the classroom. What we didn't know until yesterday's testimony was what had happened to that officer. Because a lot of questions that I had yesterday, and I stopped short of saying it, but I how is it that you get to the school, your wife sends you a text message that she's bleeding out, and you don't go into the room anyway? We now have the answer to that. The police actions in Uvalde have to be the most gut-wrenching example of cowardice, incompetence, and dereliction of duty that we have ever seen in our lives. The gunman was shooting outside the school for 12 minutes before entering, despite the police department being four minutes away. Armored police, armored officers with shields were in the school within three minutes of the gunman entering the classroom, but never checked to see if the door was unlocked. It was unlocked. They sat there for over an hour while little kids were being murdered. Despite the fact that the town... As a freaking SWAT team, the police were extremely unprepared. The chief did not have a radio and had to send communications with a landline phone. He then told the officers in the school to stand down while the body count was stacking up. Men who finally took the killer down were Border Patrol agents who defied the local chief's order. Again, that was the, the BORTAC team. And the reason that they were they were all off duty, the reason that they were there is a couple of the guys had, had kids in that school. So they called their boys and said, hey, kid up, we're going. And that's exactly what they did. They told the police chief to, you know what? And they went in and they stopped this thing. There are people who are alive today because that team acted when they did. There would be more people alive probably had they been allowed to act early. Officers stopped parents who tried to get into the school, detaining them as they desperately tried to do what the police were too impotent. 
impotent and cowardly to do. This is not the B.com. Other police tried to cover for this lily-livered insanity by saying the officers could have been shot. That's your job. That is your job. I, you don't have you don't have to do things where somebody else is not at risk that can get you. You got little kids dying. You got an active situation. Job is to take a bullet if you need. I don't want to see any officers die. I don't want to see them not go home to their family. You signed up. You swore a note. Put the badge on. Your job is to protect those kids. The um, the story gets worse. I, I'm going to continue to read down this because it's it's a bit of a review on some of the stuff that I have with today. One federal agent was at a nearby barber shop when his wife, a teacher at the school, texted him about the shooter. He literally jumped up, grabbed his barber's shotgun, sped off to the school. Once there, he had to convince the local police to let him in. Instead of the billion armored cops on scene, mounted a rescue of students and teachers and in other classrooms, including his wife and his daughter. His daughter was hiding in the bathroom. He found her. Now, Here's where things get, um, here's the things get really ugly. And I don't, man, I don't know how. I don't think you could go back to work for this department after what I just tell, told you, what I'm about to tell you. While this federal agent was able to get into the school and rescue his family, Ruben Ruiz was not so lucky. Shocking testimony from the Texas Department of Public Safety Director on Tuesday has revealed that even more insight in the abject failure of the response at Uvalde on May 24th. The public safety director, Colonel Stephen McCraw, revealed that the husband of a slain elementary teacher, Eva Morales, tried to save her but was barred from doing so. Ruben Ruiz is a police officer for the school district and was on scene after the gunman entered the school and opened fire. Morales called Ruiz and told him that she had been shot and was dying. What happened to him? This is a this is direct testimony here. And what happened to him? As he tried to move forward into the hallway, McCross said, he was detained and they disarmed him and he was escorted off of the scene. Now, I want you to imagine, and I know that many of you are law enforcement out there and a lot of you are veterans i want you to imagine getting a phone call from your wife that she has been shot and she is bleeding to death and you get to the school and you find out that the people you work with are not going to rescue her so you're going to do it on your own and then the people that you work with detain you disarm you and escort you out of the building and your wife dies how do you recover from that more coming up 95.3 mnc all right, I got to share this story with you. I just shared it with the live stream. I have to share it with you. I got to lighten this up just a little bit. I do what I do professionally, and and I'm not trying to say that other people can't do other things. I'm not saying that at all. I have always been a data-driven guy. I've been a statistics guy. I've, I've, been, I've been a researcher prior to this job. This is what I do. Okay, so uh, you can go back to a lot of the stuff that I did during COVID was because, again, I had been a a health reporter. Uh, This is a part of what I have done. So I posted the official data, okay, because there's still some people out there believing Joe Biden when he says, we're making more oil in the U.S. now than we were under Trump. No, you're not. You are producing about between 900,000 and a million barrels less per day now than you were the month Trump left office. That is a fact, period. Okay? Now, the first couple of months that Biden was in office, uh, there was a a period where it did increase a little bit, okay? But not much, and it dropped off. So, for example, right, December of, of uh, 2019, okay, you had some capacities. January 2020 dropped. February 20 dropped. And then March of 2020, it surged back up to almost Trump levels. That was the one month, the one month where you started to see some progress in the Biden administration. Now, what did it do after March of 2020, where that month was, oh, 397 billion barrels, okay? Uh, well, then it, it, it dropped down May of 2020 to 301 billion barrels. So it went from 397 to 
301. Massive, massive drop. And then it recovered a little bit by July, and it has stayed relatively steady with the exception of February of 2021. Um, you know, some, some stuff happened in February, lockdowns and stuff like that. Now, I posted the official data, the official data from the federal government on Truth Social and on Facebook and everything else, okay? Now, the reason I did this is because people still believe this lie. Now, what I said is it doesn't matter what some uninformed person tells you. Facts are facts. Output has been down, period. The data that I posted, which was from the U.S. Energy Information Administration, which is the federal government, which says their name, gives everything. It's a screenshot of their website for crying out loud, okay? You can see the U.S. crude oil production. You can see it by month and everything else by year. And I even drew a red arrow of where December 2019 was just because it's a screenshot. So when people go to the website, they'll be able to duplicate those results. And you can see the chart clearly doing one of these downward trends after December of 2019 because there has been less production under Joe Biden's administration. And I even wrote, said January 2020, when Biden took over, we were producing uh, 18,976,000 barrels a day. Okay. March, it dropped to 17,944,000 barrels per day. So you're starting to talk about millions. Okay. So that's basically is millions. So we went from basically 19 million barrels to 18 million barrels per day. That's what we did. That was January 2020 to March 2022. We went from basically 19 million to basically 18 million barrels per day. That's what we are currently producing. Okay. Based on the latest data. Okay. We don't have April or May or anything like that yet. We only have March. I put that there, gave you the numbers, gave you the chart, drew a big old arrow on where December 2019 was. So if you went to the EIA's website and you looked at the official data from the federal government, oil production in the U.S., you would know that I wasn't lying to you. So now, now we get some, some nincompoop who hops on and goes, this chart is much more accurate than your chart. Now, it's a link to a website that is not an official source. It's a place called Y-Charts. Now, Y-Charts can be made by anybody. If you're not familiar with this website, if you have an account, you can go make a chart from anything. Nobody knows if you're making an accurate chart or not. I looked on their chart. There wasn't even any actual official data, okay, on, like sources, like where did this come from? So anyway, I just happened to notice something. And basically what the chart shows is that there's been a slight increase in oil production uh, for March of 2021 versus the previous month. And then if you go back a couple of months it's still slightly below March of 2021. The problem is, is that the chart only goes back to July of 2021. This person did not realize that they were sending me a chart that only went back to July of 2021. Uh, help me out. Was Trump president in July of 2021? No, Ben says no. Even Ben knows that, okay? Trump was not president in 2021. So you click the three-year, all right? You click the three-year, and you can see oil production in their own source, their own source that they're fact-checking me on says I'm right. Their own source. But they were too stupid to click three-year data instead of one-year data when Trump hasn't been president for the past year. So, yes, strange person who got owned on, on Truth Social. Yes, May production is up compared to production under the Biden administration. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to help this guy out because I like to give back, okay? This is what I... This is what I do on TikTok. On TikTok, I'm not a jerk. The one platform I probably should be a jerk. No, teacher on, okay? So when I do TikTok, I'm very polite. I'm respectful of stupid people. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to dial it back on this poor guy who self-owned himself by trying to fact check me on oil production, even though I had posted the official federal government oil production numbers. <clears throat> um, I am going to help him out after the show. I am going to go upstairs on my live streaming computer, and I am going to record myself helping him figure out 
how to get the accurate oil production numbers on his own website that he sent to me to fact check me. So I will do a whole thing. Be like, I'm here to help you. Don't want to argue. Just want to help. So here's the link that you sent me. Here's how you prove yourself wrong. You just take your mouse cursor up here and you see the one that you're clicked on right now. You just go over here and you click on the three-year timeline because Trump hasn't been president. Then I'll end the video. Imagine all all you have to do to prove yourself wrong is to click on three-year instead of one year. (laughs) I run into this all the time. There is some dude who claims to be a NASA engineer or some nonsense, who is like all over my social media. And the guy is dumb as a box of rocks. And and I'm I'm dying. I'm trying to decide. I'm like, okay, do I, do I engage? Because it's Facebook. I don't care about Facebook. I don't really engage on Facebook that much. I post because I know that so many of you are still there and refuse to leave the shackles of Facebook and go to a place like Telegram or Truth Social. But there's a part of me that just really wants to respond to this guy and go, you're the reason NASA is losing to SpaceX. There's a part that just desperately wants to say that. Ah, uh, all right. <clears throat> Remember Andrew Gillum? Come on, Ben. You know Andrew Gillum. You're a politi- political type. No, Andrew Andrew Gillum is the dude who ran against DeSantis. Remember Andrew Gillum? Okay. The guy that I told you was corrupt as heck. Remember that? Nobody believed me. Nobody. I, I told everybody, like, this dude just gave me a vibe. There's this, There's something about sleazy politicians. Occasionally, I'll get people who kind of roll up on me, and they're like, hey, what do you think of this politician here in Indiana? Or what do you think of this one in Michigan? And I'll, I'll give them my honest opinion. And if I don't have an opinion, I, I'll tell them. I don't, I don't really get any vibes from them. There are a lot of politicians in Indiana that I get some bad vibes from. And I don't just mean because of their voting legislation. I mean, like, personally, I'm not convinced that they're decent human beings, okay? I'm not going to tell you who they are because I don't have any actual evidence and that would be slander and that would be wrong and I could always be incorrect. But Andrew Gillum was one of those guys that just gave me bad juju vibes. So he loses. He ends up getting arrested. There's this weird like sex scandal thing and he, he got arrested for that and he was really drunk and, and I'm like, it's kind of the vibe I got from Andrew Gillum. And a lot of people are like, you know, it's not fair. He's down on his luck. He lost the race. He's depressed. He's been cast aside, even though he was considered the golden boy of the Democratic Party and a future presidential candidate and that sort of thing. And it would be wrong for you to harp on his drug addiction and, um, you know, his gay prostitution uh, arrest. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Andrew Gillum, who narrowly lost to current Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, also known as Daddy DeSantis, just had the hammer dropped on him. Um, 21 felony charges, all of which are related to his campaign against DeSantis. This is not the gay prostitution drug stuff. It's a little different. A federal grand jury has returned a 21 count indictment against Andrew Demetric. Gillum, 42 years old, as well as Sharon Janet Letman Hicks, 53, both of Tallahassee, Florida. Hear good things about Tallahassee. United States, not really. A United States attorney for the Northern District of Florida said in a statement that Gillum claimed in a statement that he was innocent and that the charges were political, even though he is being charged by the Department of Justice, which, of course, is overseen by the Biden administration. Um, further reason why you were correct not to vote for Andrew Gillum for governor, because Andrew Gillum thinks that the Biden administration's Department of Justice is run by Governor DeSantis. This is all political. Okay, why would it be political, Andrew? You're not a rival. You got arrested for gay in a gay prostitution sting, and you were all sorts of doped up, and there's drug possession and everything else. You, Your political career is over. What possible reason would Governor DeSantis have to have you charged with 21 felony counts? Why, did he give the grand jury donuts? I, I don't know. See, there's an old joke there because uh, the rumor was that DeSantis wouldn't show up to work or any meetings unless you had donuts there, which, of course, is nonsense 
and ridiculous. So the indictment alleged that between 2016 and 2019, defendants Gillum and Letman Hicks conspired to commit wire fraud by unlawfully soliciting and obtaining funds from various entities and individuals through false and fraudulent promises and representations that the funds would be used for a legitimate purpose, according to the statement. The indictment further alleges that the defendants used third parties to divert a portion of those funds to a company owned by Letman Hicks, who then fraudulently provided the funds disguised as payroll payments to Gillum for his personal use. In other words, Gillum shouldn't have run for governor in Florida. Gillum should run for governor of Maryland. He'll fit right in in Maryland, okay? Fit right in. You know, run for the mayor of Baltimore. Because she's almost as corrupt as you. But, you know, I think I think you could do really good there. Honestly, I think you could do very good in Baltimore. You should probably relocate. Although, Maryland weather compared to Florida weather. Mm. Both defendants are charged with 19 counts of wire fraud. Gillum is also charged with making false statements to agents of the FBI. We all know how that goes. He's a Democrat, so he'll get off of those charges. If he was a Republican, he would spend, you know, two years behind bars before he even saw a trial. Basically, Gillum has been caught... Uh, with his hand in the cookie jar, committing wire fraud to enrich himself and his buddies. And on top of that, he lied about it when he was asked. Not not a good time for Andrew Gill. Now, imagine if this dude was the governor of Florida. I mean, honestly, uh, Christina Peshaw, who is the communications person for Governor DeSantis and one of my favorite human beings of all time. Uh, <laughs> legacy media hit pieces on Governor DeSantis and... He grew up working class, athletic scholarship to Yale, studied hard, didn't party, served in the military, kept to himself in Congress, isn't influenced by corrupt money, and spends his free time with his wife and kids. What a weirdo! She then writes, I think the media would rather have a governor who can be found face down on the floor of a South Beach hotel room after a drug binge with escorts like the candidate that they all endorsed. With a normal person as governor, they have to invent fake scandals that instantly fall apart. It's got a point. And I don't even think that I got to this. Um, one of the storylines recently that the Democrats pushed to attack DeSantis is one of the funniest things ever. Hold on a second. Uh, I wasn't even going to talk about it today, but it's like, it's like I might as well. <laughs> uh, Governor DeSantis is, is just like he's as wealthy as you and me, meaning he's poor. <laughs> and so he's, he's not an ultra wealthy guy. God forbid. And that's like the latest thing is like, well, you know, he's got outstanding student loan debt and he sold the house property and paid off 30000 of it, but he still owes over hundred k. Like, wait a minute, he sold a property, took profits from the prof- property and, and promptly paid down debt that he had, but his net worth is still like 50 bucks like me? That's, that's my guy for president. <laughs> that's a lot of people going to be saying that. And if, uh, if you get a lot of people, if you're going to run the, the whole thing that, hey, uh, Ron DeSantis isn't ultra wealthy like everybody else who runs for office, I, yeah, that's not going to play very well. Not going to play very, very well, especially if you're endorsing the party of the little guy, meaning the Democrats, because they're supposed to be the party of the poor. This is if he ran. Okay, if Governor DeSantis ran for office, he would probably be the poorest person to ever do so for the two major. It's going to win a lot of votes, just say. More coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I promised you the day was upon us. And it is this morning. Five Star Painting came to my house. They will be painting my house today and tomorrow. So they came out. Uh, we spoke with the project manager. Super nice guy. He walked through the entire property with me making sure that we knew exactly what we were going to be doing. And he asked if there was anything that I wanted to take off, anything I wanted to keep on, that sort of thing. Um, he had some specific questions about taping certain things off and that sort of stuff and making sure that they didn't get sprayed and 
Uh, you, you just went through all those details just to make sure specifically in the notes that the painters knew exactly what was to be done and what wasn't to be done. And we did all of that. And then what he did is he went and he got the painters who were already there and he walked the painters through the exact same process like he had just done with me. And after that, he said, if there's any more questions, uh, you know, I'll answer them now. Otherwise, you know, we'll uh, we'll take off and the painters will be here until about six o'clock tonight and they'll be back tomorrow at 8 a.m. to finish the job. And the painters got to work prepping the house. And when I left, they were still in the midst of prepping the house. And I assume that uh, some of it's been painted today and they will finish up tomorrow. Uh, we're also getting some extra things taken care of, too, not just the house, your know, railings and things like that. So very, very good experience so far with Five Star Painting. If you go to fivestarpainting.com, you can set up your free consultation right now. You can also get a color consultation if you can't decide what color to pick or if you're having a dispute like we had on which shade of color you wanted to use. They can help you with that. Fivestarpainting.com. Mention me, and you'll get free paint with your project. All right. I was drawing from memory, and I wasn't accurate on some of the stuff that I said about DeSantis' net worth. I want to get it correct. We don't have Politico doing a fact check on me. We know the Politico likes to hang out in South Bend. They don't ever interview anybody of an importance, but they love to hang out in South Bend. All right. So here we go. This is from the 15th. Okay, so it's a week old. Earlier this morning, we told you how Elon Musk, the richest person in the world, is leaning towards supporting Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for president in 2024. And he did. He voted Republican for the first time uh, in Texas. And he said, ah, you know, this uh, this Ron DeSantis guy, I kind of like it. Well, Governor DeSantis, who is 43, 43 years old, still has over 21 grand in student loans. <gasps> that scum. He doesn't trade individual stocks. <gasps> Did you hear about that Democrat who wants to get uh, stock trading out of Washington, D.C., and she just bought a bunch of energy company stocks? She doesn't want anybody to trade stocks in Washington, D.C. She just bought a bunch of green energy stocks. But she doesn't want anybody to trade stocks in Washington, D.C., but she just bought a bunch of green energy stocks. Anyway, so DeSantis, 43 years old, still owes over 21 grand in student loans. He does not trade individual stocks. His net worth is $318,987, far lower than many top politicians. And if he runs for president, he may clock in at the lowest net worth in a crowded field. Now tell me that ain't going to appeal to people. If you've got people who are low income and they're on the fence about something and they're looking at, I don't know who to support. All right, this guy says they're for the little guy, but they're worth $9 million, Joe Biden. This guy, $318,000. Who you go with? Maybe you go with the guy who's still paying off his student loans. And the guy's not taking taxpayer dollars to do it. Not engaged in any corruption. Not doing shady stock deals. But he's actually, his net worth decreased by $30,000 in the past year. It appears that he is spending down cash from the sale of his only home. Wait, he's only got one house? How many houses does Joe Biden have again? Only got one house. I'm assuming Joe Biden runs for re-election and isn't out of the picture. Okay, So this is uh, Ted Brittis, blue checkmark brigader. Governor DeSantis appears to be spending down cash from sale of family's only home, which had been deposited into that 202000 USAA account with a previous balance as high as $235,000. His reported net worth dropped $30,000 during last year. And that is because they sold their house. They deposited the uh, $235,000 into the account, took 30 of it, paid down his student loan debt. What a what a piece of crap. He's paying off his debt. Bernie Sanders is officially 10 times richer than Governor DeSantis. I'm telling you, man, this could play out. This If he decides to run, this could be a really interesting talking point. Um, so as a bunch of people have pointed out, like this is this is a potentially big deal. You know, it, it makes him more likable, more approachable. He's one of you. Uh, if you look at Governor DeSantis and the way he dresses, he dresses with, with what appears to be fairly modest suits. 
they're not like overly expensive or anything like that. It's just, you know, he, he dresses nice, but it's not like ultra expensive tailored stuff. It's just kind of, you know, it's my suit. I, I'm supposed to wear a suit because I'm the governor, so I do. <laughs> but I don't want to. I, I just wear it because they want me to wear one. Um, yeah, this is real interesting stuff. You know, it's uh, you, you throw that in there, his record and everything else. Um, right now, even Pete Buttigieg was talking about this. Pete Buttigieg was threatening the airlines earlier in the week. I don't know if you've heard this story. So Pete Buttigieg, which uh, may or may not be the acting transportation secretary, <laughs> jury's still out on that. He's running around telling the airlines, like, hey, uh, we need you guys to, like, step it up, stop canceling flights and whatnot, and you need to take losses and profits to go ahead and make sure that people can go on vacations and holidays and stuff because, like, you know, things. And guess where they're going? Where's everybody going on vacation? Where is everybody going on vacation? More so than normal because I know it's a hot vacation destination in general, but where is everybody going on vacation? This year. Anyone? That's right. Florida. Yeah, I know one of you said Florida. They're all going to Florida. Even the Democrat governors who want mask mandates everywhere still keep going to Florida. Gretchen Whitmer went to Florida. Her senior health staff went to Florida. They told you not to go to Florida, but they went. It's amazing how many prominent Democrats who hate Ron DeSantis and opposed Florida's COVID policies as being dangerous ended up in Florida while they were saying that Florida was killing people. Again, Part of the reason that the Democrats pulled out of Florida and they're not really challenging DeSantis is because the campaign ads alone write themselves. You don't need it. All you have to do. Democrats can say all they want about Florida, but they sure do vacation here. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Wednesday, this date, said Florida is killing senior citizens. Wednesday, the next week, was in Florida without a mask, sunbathing at a pool. It's true, by the way. It happened. So very, very tough, very tough to win Florida right now. Ron DeSantis is so good at his job. And he has won that state over. Uh, even though it was a close race with Gillum, who is now a serious criminal. And all of that criminal activity happened during that gubernatorial race in Florida. Joe Biden's net worth is around $9 million, according to Forbes magazine. Okay, so you could say that Joe Biden is a rich guy. Okay, that's officially what he's worth. But most people assume he's worth more with the money that he's hiding overseas. So he's $9 million. Okay, that's his net worth. How many times has Joe Biden not accepted the presidential paycheck and donated? What I think is still one of the biggest storylines ever of the Trump presidency never gets told. Rich guy doesn't take money from the taxpayers, gives it back. Now, imagine, okay, you get well into the future, 30, 40, 50 years into the future, okay? We get away from the partisanship that we're dealing with right now. History starts to calm down a little bit, and you look back, and you're in class, and you hear about Trump and everything else, and, you know, maybe they do a lesson plan and some of the stuff that he said, but, you know, in the midst of that, you read that he never took a paycheck, that he always donated his paycheck back, and then maybe, just maybe, in some of those students' minds as they're sitting there going, like, wow, you can say he's a loud mouth and all this other stuff, but he didn't take any money. He wasn't there to get rich. He wasn't there to do anything, but just there because he wanted to be there, and he thought it was important. You have to assume at some point in time, in the future, when you can get away from the hyper-partisanship and the tribalism that we're dealing with right now, you assume that there will be young minds that look at that and go, he didn't take a paycheck. I would be willing to bet large sums of Ben's salary that at some point in the future, there will be somebody who will who will come out there and cite President Trump as an example of why wealthy presidents shouldn't take a paycheck. I wouldn't be surprised if they were Democrats. Would not be surprised. How many, for you Democrats out there, how many of the $9 million net worth Joe Biden, how many of those paychecks has he donated back to the American taxpayers like Donald Trump did his entire president? Just ask it. I don't really know the answer. I think I do. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. MNC News Time is 5.32. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. 
do want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. If you would like to go watch the hilarity, as I own somebody on Truth Social, who is trying to fact check me on oil production in the United States, go to truthsocial.com and follow me at Casey the Host. Again, if you want to search for my name, you'll find me. If you want to search for Casey, the host, one word, you will find me that way as well. Truthsocial.com at Casey, the host. Please give follow over there. Over a thousand Southwest pilots have gathered outside of Love Field in Dallas to protest staffing shortages and crazy working hours. So that's not good. Uh, again, this goes along with the Pete Buttigieg, hey, please stop uh, like canceling flights and stuff. Now, of course, the airline industry, unlike Pete Buttigieg, knows how to run a company. And the airline industry, even though we may not like it, the airline industry is is kind of looking at this thing and they're going, hey, you know, um, gas is expensive. Uh, we don't have enough workers and we are going to have to cancel flights. Otherwise, we are flying for free. So the government kind of steps in and says, look, you're going to have to have a you know minimum number of flights or what have you and and these various rules and things like that. And the airline industry is just like, so a lot of it is leading to some stress, some long hours as flight crews are trying to make up the capacity that the federal government wants. And to an extent, by the way, that the public is demanding, but they don't have the manpower. So now you're getting pilots and flight crews that are frankly in the air way too long. And as much as we want to get to our destination, nobody wants to be in a missile that flies towards the earth. And this is probably not a good thing. So starting at 9 a.m., over a thousand Southwest airline pilots lined up along Mockingbird Lane in front of Dallas Love Field protesting for better treatment. After what has been a chaotic past two years since the pandemic, it was scheduled to end at 12 p.m. It was being led by the Southwest Airlines Pilot Association, which is the union representative presenting the pilots. They're all in uniform too, by the way. Uh, The union is calling the demonstration an informational picket in an effort to raise awareness to pilot fatigue, stress, and the pilot shortage and other issues that have made flight cancellations and delays the norm for the past year. Can I just say this? If you're looking for a career change and you have, um, you know, flight simulator, they might hire you. Like right now, I, I honestly, I don't know when the last best time to go into the the airline industry was but i would assume that this is a pretty darn sweet time to get into flying if you really want to fly Uh, i don't know what the schooling situation looks like or you know training or anything like that i I don't know how that process works but they are really hurting for pilots so if you have ever considered a career as a pilot even just as a flight crew you know whether it's a, a, a flight attendant or what have you this is probably a good time to break into that industry uh, because work is going to be plentiful. You get a chance to travel, probably get good money, good benefits. So if you're considering something like that, uh, trucking right now is huge. Airline industry, which takes a bit more to get involved in than, than trucking does, but trucking is not necessarily the easiest thing in the world. Also, everybody thinks they can drive a truck until they try. Um, but yeah, this is probably a good chance for a career change for a lot of you folks. If you've been considering, you're looking at uh, getting into that thing. Wasn't it Walmart was paying like $100,000 for truck drivers? A couple months ago, it was Walmart, right? I mean, 100K is 100K, guys. That's all I'm saying. So there's some opportunities out there. Take advantage of the lazy people choosing not to work right now. You got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Hey, everybody. Casey Hendrickson here for Balance of Nature. Here's the deal. Uh, eating salads is not fun. It's terrible. So get your vegetables a better way. Go to balanceofnature.com, and you can uh, chomp down three of these pills, and you've got your full ve- vegetables for the day. You don't have to worry about eating that stuff. See, you can focus on things that taste great, like meat, lots of it. Go to balanceofnature.com, promo code Laura, L-A-U-R-A, and you can save 35%. Boost your immune system. 
boost your energy, boost all your vitamins and minerals and all of those nutrients that you get from fruits and veggies all day without having a meal plan or worry about eating it. And of course, a lot of people just don't have the appetite to eat that much anyway. Balanceofnature.com. They make getting your fruits and vegetables super easy. This is high quality, real food that is in a capsule. Balanceofnature.com, promo code Laura. Well, 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 some breaking news. Another woman who was exposed in uh, 2000 Mules has been arrested, facing 20 years in prison for election fraud. We'll have more on that tomorrow. Interesting developing story there. Todd Starnes tweeted out uh, that Trump has said Biden is bringing the U.S. toward world war. Maybe. But there's this story here I want want you to keep an eye on. And it may be nothing. However, uh, San Antonio Express News says that a small team of soldiers has been given just 19 days to repaint 49 pieces of military equipment, ranging from Humvees to medium tactical vehicles. They have to repaint them from a desert scheme to a green scheme. Now, everything used to be green in the military. It was all green, and then we had to paint everything tan because we went to the desert so much. Uh, Now, it looks like they're going back to green. Now, here's the thing that has people kind of speculating about this, is that this appears to be popping up all over the country, and particularly at Fort Hood, and... It is, they're begin really fast time frames to do this. So like 19 days to do 40 some odd vehicles and pieces of equipment. Um, that's not a lot of time. So people are speculating that maybe this is ramping up for something where you have to be in a, a more tropical environment. There were some reports that were saying that they're painting uh, the schemes were, were designed to match Taiwan's landscape. That's not accurate. It just appears that they're going back to the, the old green and moving away from tan. Some people are downplaying this and saying that this is just signaling that we're moving away from desert operations. We're moving much more into the traditional operations that we used to run, and green was always the scheme, so tan doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, others are saying, well, the time frame on, on some of this stuff doesn't, doesn't really jive with that, that there might be something coming. I don't know, okay? Just keep an eye on it. Just know that there is a, a bunch of stuff that is happening in the military with converting vehicles over to green and pieces of equipment over to green from the desert schemes. And it might just be going back to the way that things have always been done, or perhaps it could be signaling something, but we don't have any official word on anything. But I just want you to be aware of it. Just kind of keep an eye on it, just in case something does develop. But I don't have any data or information that it would be. All right, folks, go to truthsocial.com. Follow me at Casey, the host. It is a great follow. I will improve your life greatly when you do that. And you can also follow me on Rumble at Casey, the host. Bill O'Reilly's next. We'll see you tomorrow.